0: Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host, Leo, and today we're talking The Marvel. So, I watched The Marvels, like, a couple weeks ago now. Sorry if some of the things are a bit patchy, and sorry if I'm a little bit rambly in general because I do have a a bit of a headache because my sleep schedule is garbage. Anywho, (laughs) I always try to fix it, but I always break it ten times worse. Again, anywho, so... Today we're talking the Marvels. It's sadly not doing terribly well, and obviously this this podcast episode is coming out so late. It's not going to help. I think currently the showings for the Marvels is down to like a handful, and probably by the time this episode goes out, it's they're just not going to be available. Sadly, it's one of those things. Though of course you know it will go through, and then it'll eventually end up on Disney Plus. But it, it's one of those situations where I think it's. One of those idiots that are like, uh, Marvel's so woke, or whatever, and it's it's just so dumb, and have a very inexplicable hatred of Brie Larson for some unknown reason. I have no clue. Maybe it's because she is strong and pretty, and that intimidates them. I don't know. But we'll leave that whole argument off to the side for for this episode, because I, I don't want to get into it. Other potential causes of the movie not doing terribly well could be for example just marvel fatigue they they were releasing like what two three movies a year then covid hit and now you have to ask do you really want to hop into the middle of this you know ever changing storyline that's just getting you know longer and harder to follow like as it is personally i have a couple of movies that i've missed out on i haven't seen iron man 3 I haven't seen Black Widow, and I haven't seen Eternals. And there might be another one that I'm just not thinking of at the moment. But, you know, I, I have, I even I haven't seen everything, you know? I'll probably end up doing episodes on those missing bits later. But the other thing is that, similar to Pixar, there's always the feeling that it's going to end up on Disney Plus eventually anyway. So why bother? Similar thing with um, Indiana Jones. I, as much as I really wanted to see it in theaters, didn't. And that would have been my first Indiana Jones movie in theaters, but I didn't go watch it. Because one, I was busy, and two, it felt like I should just, you know, I can wait until it comes out on Disney. That's the problem with a lot of streaming services. Like, if I know it's going to a streaming service I don't have, I might make a bit more of an effort to to go watch it. But even then, like a couple weeks after it goes to streaming, it's out out on DVD and boom, you got it in your hands, you know? So the world's in a bit of a weird situation when it comes to movies versus streaming and whatnot. But, But that is to say that I do not think that it's failing because it's a bad movie. It's actually a pretty good movie. It does come with some baggage, though. The film is connected to too many things it's part of the problem of like marvel fatigue is now that they have the tv shows which are exclusive to disney plus at least until they start coming out on dvd which they just are with um wandavision coming out on dvd and blu-ray it's it's kind of a situation where the amount of access and understanding to the film becomes a lot harder to grasp because it's connected to so many things. I mean, if you watch the trailer and you haven't seen WandaVision and you haven't seen Ms. Marvel, just those two initially, you're going to feel like you're missing something. Hell, if you haven't seen Captain Marvel, you might not fully understand. Or Endgame. You know, there's just so many things that it connects to and even more beyond that that makes it to feel like you know this is kind of a, a linchpin thing where a lot of things condensed down to this one film that you have to have watched to kind of have a full grasp of the characters. Because this movie does pick up immediately where Ms. Marvel left off. So you're kind of missing all that backstory of the character in this film. And yeah, so so with that, I guess we should start with a bit of a mini catch-up of like Ms. Marvel just to get caught up to the film. And then I guess also a mini... Cat uh, rundown of Maria Rambo's thing. Maria or Monica, Monica, Maria, and her daughter Monica. So have to keep it's Monica, Monica Rambo. She so yeah we'll we'll start there. So Monica Rambo, she was in Wandavision. She was investigating what was going on in Westview and just just trying to see what was going on and ended up getting sucked in to wanda's hex through that she kind of lost part of herself and then when wanda found out that she wasn't originally part of the town wanda kicks her out but monica forces her way back in pushing through and she ends up with more well, powers so her powers at least according to this film because it's when they actually properly explain what her powers are is that she can see kind of all of the light spectrums so she can see like all of the the stuff so that's her basic kind of rundown and catch up. Of course, she helped Wanda figure out her issues <laughs> before going off and joining Saber. Then we have Ms. Marvel. So she, for some reason, absolutely idolizes Captain Marvel. The only time that Kamala would have seen her would be during Endgame. So, like, the whole thing from the 90s probably would have been covered up as, you know, it's not mentioned any time before Captain Marvel ended up being a thing, or any time really after. And so the only time she would have seen her and been aware, and according to the the uh, beginning of Ms. Marvel, is the case that she saw Captain Marvel during Endgame, and then that was kind of it. Like, I mean, she she popped in and out here and there, I think, but I don't think she would have made all that much of an impact during the snap and whatnot. So she she does that. She, for some reason, she idolizes her. But she's trying to do, as Kamala usually is at the beginning of her stories, she wants to go to AvengersCon. Uh, in Marvel's Avengers, the video game, the one that everyone didn't like, she's going to AvengersCon, shit goes down, and in that game, the Avengers break up. In this, she's going to Avenger Con. it's supposed to be the very first one, and it's It's a very niche, dingy kind of convention. You know, held in like a relatively smallish warehouse. She wants to be part of the Captain Marvel costume contest. But she's missing that last bit. That last little bit of flair. And initially she's thinking of like maybe putting a sash or something. Because she wants to combine like Captain Marvel and her, her heritage together as the unique flair. What she ends up deciding on is some bangle. I was going to say bangles, but it's only one bangle, uh, that her grandmother sent her. So she goes, gets it from a chest, puts it on after she has a bit of a fumble with it, has it put on. And I thought that it was like one of those situations where like she puts it on and then it's stuck to her kind of thing. But no, she can take it off. That was not at all a plot thread or an issue, which I guess is kind of refreshing. With that, she gains these kind of powers. But as her friend... Has somehow has access to a DNA sequencer, I guess. He tests her DNA for her and finds that it's not necessarily coming from the bangle. It's more that the bangle unlocked something in her is kind of the thing. And then at the very end, it's heavily implied that she is actually like a mutant and it even plays the X-Men theme and whatnot. In the comics, she is a mutant slash inhuman hybrid situation, and that's kind of where her powers come from. And also in the comics her powers are kind of stretchy powers like Mr. Fantastic. But in this, it's more a light projection deal, or she calls it hard light projection so she can make platforms and she can make a stretchy hand out of the hard light. So she still sort of has some of her power set, but not really. Anywho, the, mo- Sorry, the show ends with, you know, the whole ordeal and whatnot having passed. I won't necessarily spoil the whole, whole ordeal. She learns about her grandmother's past and whatnot, but she's officially like a superhero and whatnot, and she's super excited. Then one day, she goes to use her powers. She swaps out and is replaced with Carol Danvers, also known as Captain Marvel. That's where the show ends. And that is where the movie begins. So now we're caught up on those two characters. And then, of course, there's Captain Marvel, where the previous movie, Captain Marvel, kind of comes into play. I'll probably talk about all of these things in detail some other time. Down the line. But for now, a quick brisk thing is good enough. Her deal, and it actually kind of comes up a little bit in this, is that she's still trying to sort out her memories and whatnot. Because in the previous film, she had her, like mind wiped after she was doing a test flight and the thing exploded and she ended up getting a ton of like infinity stone power put into her and that's how she got her powers but anyhow in this it begins with the same thing where she kind of gets flung into uh, Kamala's room she explores goes out the front door goes up to the saber station to talk with Nick Fury now The thing that kind of triggered this is... Because this movie is hopping around a lot at the beginning. (laughs) It's actually a very fun kind of sequence of a lot of different things going on at the same time. So, what kind of happened was Captain Marvel was uh, doing a favor for Nick Fury and checking out an anomaly because the Kree were doing something and he wanted to know what because... He's worried that this peace deal between the Skrulls and the Kree might, you know, break down. So she goes and investigates, sees that the Kree were definitely doing something weird where they've opened a jump gate, which you kind of see in the, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, where it's like the, this like hexagonal thing opens up and like punches a hole through and then you can go through and it's a fast way to travel through space. So one of those is just stuck open. She goes to investigate. Meanwhile, Maria Rambeau, not Maria, damn it, Monica Rambeau, Monica, Monica Rambeau is going to investigate a glitch in their jump gate. So she's, you know, floating ever so slowly towards the, the anomaly in her space suit, uh, trying to figure out what, what's happening. And it just so happens that at that time, potentially simultaneously, Captain Marvel, Monica, and Kamala, at the same time, Kamala tried to use her powers while Captain Marvel and Monica both touched the jump gates, swapping them all instantly. Monica ended up in, uh, like, on a kind of desolate rock. Uh, Kamala ended up in Monica's spacesuit. Uh, Captain Marvel ended up in Kamala's room, so that's kind of what happened. So then, after they switch back, Kamala is trying to explain to her parents what was going on, but she's still very confused. Monica is trying to figure out what was going on with um, with Nick Fury, and then Captain Marvel goes and decides to figure out what's going on with this with the scroll and the peace summit. And see what what they're doing. So she's sneaking aboard the ship, which then kicks us into this big action sequence where things keep shifting, uh, and all three of them have to fight while teleporting around. It's a very fun, interesting thing. And it turns out, fun fact, that they can teleport people with them if they like grab them. So what ends up happening is, uh, in the middle of a stealth section, they get teleported. Oh dear. <laughs> It's a very complex movie with how fast and how often they keep jumping around. But basically it ends up where Kamala ends up taking some people from some Cree uh, warriors back to her house. And that's where part of the fight scene happens. Part of the fight scene happens at, um, at the Cree spaceship. And they, they're jumping around doing that. The Captain Marvel's cat is back doing Captain Marvel's cat things. After this fight scene... They try to figure things out. There's a, a danger scene where uh, Kamala accidentally switches with Carol and ends up falling in from the sky, and so Monica has to try to save her. And then they switch through, and it it ends up fine. So they all have to stay together so that you know the switching doesn't become too much of an issue. And they go to I think Skrullos. The home planet of the Skrulls? No, I don't think it's Skrullus. No, it's a planet where the Skrull are staying. And basically, because of Carol's intervention in the situation, they've decided... Well, they decided to do what they were going to do anyway, and attack. Basically, the... Kree's plan for this meeting was to get, at the very least, to broker a peace deal with the Skrull, and they they were already kind of implying that they were going to destroy the planet that they were on, but I think the idea was that they were going to have the Skrull come with them to the Kree homeworld and then suck out all the oxygen from the the place that they were at, because... That is the overall plan, is that this person, what, what is her name, Darben, she is trying to rebuild this planet at a, any means necessary situation. So she's stealing the atmosphere from one planet, the ocean from another planet, that kind of thing. The, the way she's going about it is, well, in a very destructive manner starting off with the scroll place so they're trying to they fail the atmosphere starts getting stripped so i guess we can call the group now the marvels try to go through and save as many as they can but captain marvel kind of slaps kamala with the hard lesson of you can't save everybody you know kind of uh you don't you shouldn't meet your heroes kind of thing. Even though Kamala still holds on fairly tightly to the... The fangirly, starstruck nature. Um, you'd think that this this kind of scene would have hurt that more. But it, it didn't. <laughs> but yeah, it's the lesson that you you can't necessarily save everybody. A lesson that uh, Kamala kind of turns around on her later in the film. But yeah, so they, they go around... And while they're trying to figure out what uh, Darben's plan is, they try to figure out how to work better as a team. This is where the first kind of cameo thing comes in as well, because after they save the Skrull, um, Valkyrie comes in and gives the scroll refugees a, a place to stay. And then she's gone for the rest of the film. She just pops in. <laughs> Because why not? Um, but yeah, so they start trying to figure out how to work together. They also use supposedly a Cree torture device. But Carol's been using it to try to untangle her memories. Um, to figure out where their next plan attack is. Because they use it on Kamala. And I guess if they all use it at the same time, they can all see each other's memories at that point. So... This is how Carol learns that uh, Maria, actually Maria this time, died. <laughs> so, and just how hard it was for Monica, after the death of her mother, to no, to not have anyone around for support. Um, And yeah, so that's kind of that. But they also do get the location that they need to go to. And they start doing this big, fun training sequence, uh, trying to figure out how best to... to it's a nice training montage for figuring out how to best utilize the, the switching and, and whatnot. Then they go to this kind of water-based planet where it turns out Carol is a princess. She has agreed to marry the prince there, uh, for political reasons, and it is a planet where you have to sing. The, the language there is through song, so if you're not singing, they don't really understand what you're saying. It's very interesting, but yeah, it's, it's also a bit of a nice bit of brevity, but the reason that uh, Darben's attacking this planet is because they want the ocean. It is also shown that the it is almost certainly a minor revenge thing, because Carol explains that this is her fault. What happened to the Cree homeworld is her fault when she destroyed the what is it called the Supreme Intelligence or whatever. In the last film, it was supposed to like she thought it was going to free them, but it ended up that it created a massive power vacuum that led to a civil war all of the planet's resources just completely got screwed and their son died for some reason i don't know why it died but it, it died so so yeah so darben is targeting planets that are significant to carol you know the scrolls because her whole thing was trying to help them in the previous film the this planet because again she helped that them with a political situation and agreed to marry him for said political situation but yeah so she they go there, they warn the prince about the incoming danger they fight but it's obviously not a winnable battle no matter how hard they try um, and so they have to cut and run as the, the ocean is sucked away from this planet. Then, I believe we then just kind of start building towards the, the final bit, which is uh, Darben's final target is the, the Earth's sun. So, gonna open a jump gate there, and having these jump gates open is having trouble and starting to collapse Reality or whatever—it's a very dangerous situation. So they they go confront her, and it's a it's a big old fight. She ends up getting like a bit of a bit of building dropped on her and stabbed. Uh, Carol lifts it off and promises Darben that because they come to the realization that Carol very likely has the power to to restart their son in, in all reality, because, you know, she's extremely powerful, so she probably has the power to restart the sun, so they promise Darben to do that, but Darben is like, no, 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 takes, um, takes Kamala's bangle, because the whole th- plot is revolving around, uh, the other bangle, I for- completely forgot to mention that, <laughs> it's, it's revolving around the other bangle, and... The fact that in order to actually properly have the power to, to restart the sun, you need both bangles is is the idea, um, at least to restart it that way, and to have a stable, stable jump gate to suck the power from one sun to the others is, again, the idea. But the power ends up being too much, and Darben just kind of dies. Then... Uh, they give the second bangle or both bangles back to Kamala so now she has both and is fully powered up it's deemed that the best way to to do this is that they need to physically like close the the gate that is stuck open and the gate is open to another like dimension supposedly so monica votes to go to the other side close it from there while kamala pulls it from uh, this side, and, well, they succeed, but Monica's stuck on the other side. Captain Marvel goes off to the Kree homeworld to um, keep the promise and restart the sun. Kamala goes home and is inspired by uh, Nick Fury to start a, a Young Avengers of sorts, and goes off and Nick Furies her way about specifically trying to recruit um, Kate Bishop from the Hawkeye TV series. She also mentions, I believe, Cassie Lang, um, Ant-Man's daughter. Um, and then we get the post credit scene, which is Monica in this other dimension where we see X-Men's Beast. Played by Kelsey Grammer, which is pretty cool. But she's also there with her mother. Except for in this dimension or universe or whatever, she is not, like, Monica Rambo is not the daughter of Maria Rambo. It's, in fact, uh, I believe her superhero name in this one is Binary. So, Binary from what I've been able to pick up, is a... It's a separate version of Captain Marvel's powers. So this is probably a universe or dimension or whatever where she, like um, Maria Rambo, got the Captain Marvel powers, similar to what you see in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Except for this time instead of staying Captain Marvel, she became Binary. And I believe in the comics, Binary is a character that... It changes, like, a lot of characters, and I think one version is, like, Binary is the manifestation of her powers kind of thing. So in this... Think of it kind of like um, how Captain America has his nomad phase, where... Um, where he just, like, says, screw America, America's fucked, Um, I'm gonna grow a beard and wander off, (laughs) kind of thing. Or how Superman has his grounded phase, or when he split into those two different Supermen, the the blue and the red one, I think. (laughs) Comics are weird, you know? (laughs) But that's the movie, overall. The explanation for their switching is that all of their powers are light-based, so they are cosmically intertwined, or what's it called, uh, it it says it here, quantum entanglement, so because all of their powers have a similar basis, you know, Kamala can manipulate light into a solid form, um, Monica can see all the spectrums of light and kind of manipulate it a little bit on the the non-visible form, like she can use it to fly, but when she's flying, she is not physical, so she can't, she can't, um, grab stuff. Captain Marvel's able to manipulate light into powerful energy blasts kind of thing, and also the ability to fly and space and whatnot, so, stuff, (laughs) But yeah, so that is, that's the film. Again, overall, it's pretty good. It has some lighthearted moments, some some dire moments. I wouldn't rank it probably on the best, like on the higher scale, but it's definitely good between high and mid. You know, I'd put it around there. Because Marvel on the lower scale can be rough. But Marvel at the mid-scale is okay. Like, a lot of the mid-Marvel movies are... Like uh, The Incredible Hulk, uh, Black Widow, that kind of thing. Movies that you, you look at and you're like, eh, this one is pretty good, but it does require a bit of backstory a lot of the time to make sure that you are kind of caught up on what's going on. And then, you know, then you then you can probably enjoy it pretty pretty comfortably, but it's, it makes it feel like a bit of a chore, you know? It's not not the best. Yeah, so overall the visual effects are pretty good. The plot line with the cat is pretty fun. When there's just like an issue on the Saber space station during the film that is almost catastrophic to the thing for some reason. It's not even necessarily like anyone caused it or anything. It's just something that happened the cats are used as cuz the cat has kittens cuz like it's a part, like a b plot or technically maybe a c plot of the film where these weird masses are appearing on the ship and they're appearing everywhere on the ship and they have to like they're trying to figure out what what it is but a lot of critical systems are starting to go down On the space station, so when one of these finally hatches, it's revealed to be a kitten. You know the the cat, which I can't remember what its species is called, the one that has the tentacles that eat people. uh, It has a ton of kittens. So because of the fact that the escape pods are having issues, at least a majority of them are having issues, they're going to condense everyone down into the cats, and herd all the cats onto the escape pods, the remaining escape pods, and get everyone safely to the ground. And where they are then promptly regurgitated. And it's a pretty fun scene where not only do they have to herd the cats, but they have to herd the people into the cats. And yeah, it's a pretty fun scene. Um, It definitely has moments that that when you watch them, you're like, oh, this is pretty fun, and a silly sci-fi concept that is kind of deserving of, of, you know, randomness, I guess, but yeah, I think with that said, that is it, I think, so yeah, we'll go ahead and call it there, um, feel free to check out the other stuff that I'm, I'm doing, hopefully by this time, I will have at least streamed once or twice, and I plan on streaming a little bit more but we are entering the holiday season so that's going to kind of narrow down a bit in fact next week is christmas now i was racking my brain for a good while what am i going to do for christmas Ah, do i do a christmas film even though there's not really any sci-fi christmas films i guess i could technically do the santa claus but i don't really want to do the santa claus right now you know i don't want it to be my first christmas thing so what do i do i know I'll do the Doctor Who specials that have been coming out recently. Because those are usually centered around Christmas. I don't know if these ones are. But usually Doctor Who specials are centered around Christmas. So I'll do that. And then from there, uh, I'll follow it up with the first season of technically what people call New Who when Doctor Who was rebooted with the Ninth Doctor. So we'll talk about the Christopher Eccleston season of Doctor Who. I had trouble figuring out what I was going to name that episode, but yeah. So we're doing the 60th anniversary specials on Christmas, and then on New Year's, Doctor Who season 1. And then from there, we will figure it out. (laughs) We'll probably go something a little bit more niche following Doctor Who. I just don't know what yet. Maybe Flash Gordon. I've been meaning to do Flash Gordon, and I haven't done it yet. So maybe Flash Gordon. We'll see. But with that, I do want to say... Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, and you know, feel free to like, comment, subscribe if you're on YouTube. Or if you're on any podcast catcher of your choice. Uh, feel free to rate, review, or share it with your friends. You know, can help spread this out a little bit. Uh, but otherwise... Thank you guys so much for watching, slash listening, depending on however you did it. And I will talk to you guys next week with the Doctor Who 60th Anniversary Specials. Goodbye.